Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Listeners, welcome back to New Books and Jewish Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Amber Nickel, the host of the channel, and today we're going to be talking with Katarina Fidva and Marcus Nusselrot about their most recent publication, Polish Jews in the Soviet Union, 1939 to 1959: History and Memory of Deportation, Exile, and Survival, which came out last year on Academic Studies Press. Katarina Fridla holds a PhD from the Department of History in the Institute of Eastern European and Jewish History at the University of Basel in Switzerland. She has published extensively on Jews in Poland and the Soviet Union and is getting ready to start a new position as the Curator of European Collections at the Hoover Institution Library and Archives at Stanford University. Congratulations. Thank you. Marcus Nesselrot is a postdoctoral researcher at the European University of Via, Viadrina. Did I get that right? Perfect. Um, in Frankfurt, Oder. His dissertation research, conducted at the Center of Jewish Studies, uh, Berlin Brandenburg, examines Polish Jews' experiences in the Soviet Union from 1939 to 1945, um, which I think is why he's an editor of this particular text. He has published numerous articles and chapters on this topic. Katarina and Marcus, welcome to the channel. I'm really excited to discuss this text with you here today. Thank you for having us. Um, I want to start with kind of a question that I always start with, with writers, um, and that is what motivated you to compile this particular text, Polish Jews in the Soviet Union, 1939 to 1959? Uh, so the idea for, for this book originated at an international conference at the Pauline Museum of the History of uh, Polish Jews in Warsaw in October 2018, Marcus and I organized. Um, I have to mention that um, in the recent years, a growing uh, number of papers, books, lectures or exhibitions are oriented towards the subject of Polish Jewish refugees, the paradox of their survival and the memory of, of that survival in a more in-depth, detailed uh, approach. But both of us felt that the story of, of Polish Jewish survival in the Soviet Union deserved more attention within the international and especially Polish historiography of the Holocaust um, and the Second World War. So we invited around 30 researchers from Poland, uh, the USA, Russia, Israel, Canada, Australia, and uh, Germany. 
during our discussions and debates, uh, we were able to summarize the state of research, um, but the participants also focused on extending the research field in the interdisciplinary subjects that would require sophisticated historians with appropriate language skills and well-oriented in the vastness of the archival sources. Already during our meeting in Warsaw, we realized that it would be great to publish some of the papers um, in a joint volume. Most chapters uh, in our book were presented at this meeting, while a few contributors uh, joined us later. So starting to work on this anthology, we wanted first to present the latest findings by some of the best known uh, scholars in the field. Secondly, we wanted to stimulate and expand the discussion on this uh, subject simultaneously uh, to integrate it into a larger picture and show that this story is a part of the history of Poland, the Soviet Union, Germany, Israel, uh, the Holocaust and the Gulag, and of course, as a part of the history of those third countries uh, where the repatriates settled after the war. In your introduction, you explained the complexities of your topic. Polish Jews in the Soviet Union, especially from 1939 to 1959. What makes this particular group of Jews during this particular moment and place and time so difficult to define? Yeah, this is a very good question. Um, in the book, we speak of Polish Jews in the Soviet Union as one collective, but we have to distinguish. One way to do that would be to ask whether they experienced any persecution or forced labor, uh, because roughly one in four Polish Jews in the Soviet Union was imprisoned in either a labor camp or in a prison. Yet the majority of Polish Jews in the Soviet Union did not experience persecution, but lived in a relatively normal Soviet life under um, the conditions of war until the end of 1945. Um, another way to look at the collective would be to ask for citizenship. Um, so member or membership in one of the Polish armies or the Soviet forces. Um, or one more way, did the Polish Jews return to Poland after the war or did they stay in the Soviet Union? So this is why the time frame reaches up to 1959 and not, for example, just 1945, the end of the war. Um, because in 1959, many of those who had decided to remain in the Soviet Union returned or left the country, chose to leave the country and, for example, went to, to Israel. Um, so the umbrella term is Polish Jews in the Soviet Union, but what we do in the book is to look at smaller collectives, smaller groups of people who belonged to this umbrella term, but, you know, um, are very difficult to define. Um, and that's why we use this one umbrella term and uh, go much more into detail in, uh, in the chapters of the book. So why is it important, I think, for scholars to think about Polish Jews in the Soviet Union in relation to both the Holocaust and the post-war period? What I'm trying to ask, I guess, in other words, is how does this change the way that we think about the Holocaust, about the post-war, about the Jewish experience? 
so the history of uh, survival of three quarters um, of the small number actually of surviving Polish uh, Jews calling them, themselves in Hebrew, which means uh, in English, the surviving remnants, um, is a history of forced Soviet refuge. Um, it actually contradicts the dominant understanding of being saved uh, from the Holocaust. A very complex and, and misleading history of, uh, of survival when placed on the verge of traditional Holocaust narratives. It undermines the principal plot of these stories of Jewish suffering from the German terror and, and Polish suffering uh, in Siberia. Um, what is important uh, to mention is, is the fact that there is a growing interest in spatial turn of, of Holocaust studies. Athena Grossman called it as, you know, remapping the, the, the Holocaust. So the history of, of the Holocaust, but more specifically the experience of those who escaped it outside Nazi-occupied Europe has received more attention in a global, um, on a global uh, level. So this broader research perspective opened up a new path to writing a, a global history of Jewish wartime experience. Um, so far, our subject of research fits, of course, in, in this trend. Um, once center of an eerie reflection on Polish Jewish uh, survival in the Soviet Union were the Jewish displaced persons camps in allied occupied Germany. Since the late 90s, growing research on post-war DP history highlighted the fact that the most Polish Jewish DPs had spent the war in the depth of the Soviet Union. Um, preceding the research on Jewish DPs, the Holocaust had moved to the center of, of the 20th century history. At the same time, research on refugee experiences uh, in the Soviet Union, but also in Palestine, in China, Iran, South America, or elsewhere, has contributed to widening also the definition of the Holocaust and Holocaust survival. Getting to know the history of, of Polish Jews in the Soviet Union may lead to a better understanding of research topics that have not been associated with, with this story uh, so far. One example uh, may be the discussion on the term survivor in, the, in Holocaust studies, which is still being discussed both in, in academia, but, but also in the, in the public uh, sphere. So the survival of Polish Jews in the interior of the, of the USSR is a history of, of course, forced Soviet refuge, but at the same time, is a part of a larger story of the Second World War and, of course, of the Holocaust. Um, as we mentioned, I think already, this is an edited collection, uh, which means you brought together several different scholars that are working on this topic. We obviously can't discuss all of these today, um, despite my willingness and desire to do so. Um, so interviewers prerogative, I want to talk a little bit about your own contributions uh, during the time that we have you here. So Marcus, let's start with your contribution. As it appears, I think earlier in the text, it's the first one after the introduction. 
Using five individual case studies, you examined two moments of Jewish escape from German occupation, 1939-1941. I wonder if you could share with listeners today a little bit about how these different contexts, these different moments, shaped individual uh, decisions and individual outcomes. Well, yeah, I found it. I found it pretty difficult to answer this question in brief. That's why it took me 20 pages actually to do so. It's, it's because it's a very complex um, set of factors uh, that influence the, the decision of Polish Jews to leave their homes in 1939 or and in 1941. So my aim was to compare <clears throat> two flight movements. Um, just to give, maybe it's important to give a little background. Um, Germany invaded Poland in September 1939, but just two weeks later, Soviet forces entered Polish territory from the east. And by that, they executed the secret arrangement between Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union, the so-called Hitler-Stalin Pact. So by mid-September 1939, Poland was divided into a German and a Soviet half. This offered Polish Jews willing to flee the German army an alternative, a supposedly safe haven to go to. Um, and around 300,000 Polish Jews, or in other words, roughly one in every six Jews living in the Western part of Poland decided to leave for Soviet occupied territory in that first phase after 1939. But the vast majority, and I think that's important here, the vast majority did not flee to the Soviet side. In the summer of 1941, the situation was already different because knowledge about German brutality, German anti-Semitism was already widespread, but the border was more or less sealed. So when Germany attacked its then ally, the Soviet Union in June 1941, Polish Jews living in the Eastern half of occupied Poland had only a few days time to arrange their flight to the Soviet interior. So just weeks after the beginning of the German invasion, the pre-war Polish territory was already completely under German control. I guess that's important to stress here. What took you know, two years in, in the first phase was now just a matter of a couple of weeks uh, to make up the decision whether to flee or not. So in other words, those Polish Jews who lived under German occupation in the fall of 1941 were very likely to be killed in the Holocaust. Polish Jews living close to the front lines uh, in the summer of 1941 had thus to make a very quick decision under chaotic political conditions. The Soviet state, its administration and army were retreating from the Germans and an and evacuation of civilians, including Soviet and Polish Jews came late and prioritized um, as a general rule prioritized party members and high ranking officials uh, from the party. So usually Polish Jews did not belong to these groups, making it to the evacuation trains. So the majority of those who, who managed to get to the interior of the Soviet Union fled on their own, um, either by foot or whatever means of transportation they could find. So there was a high degree of luck, coincidence, and pure chance involved in, in the flight movements uh, in the first phase, but even more in the second phase, just because there was so little time. So maybe one more thing, uh, flight was not always an individual matter. Um, the decision-making process, if you want to call it like this, was, was entangled within social networks of family, friends, co-workers, uh, 
political comrades or religious communities. So a vast, vast group of, of, of people who were involved in making up the decision. So each of these collectives or groups, if you want to call like this social networks, took very different perspectives into consideration. Uh, for example, Bundists, like uh, Jewish socialists, often saw the Soviets as political enemies on the one side, but on the other side, they were still the lesser of two evil because the Soviets didn't claim to kill them um, in, in, in contrast to the Germans. Orthodox communities on the other side generally feared the anti-religious policy of Stalin. So usually they didn't um, leave to the Soviet side. So as you can see, there's many, many variables here, many, many factors coming into play, making it very difficult to give general ideas of who, who decided to flee. So what we have to do, or what I tried to do with those five examples, those five biographies, was to establish that there were some, some decisive factors, and those dis decisive factors may be geography. Um, where did you live in Poland? Close to the Soviet-German border, far away from it, close to the front lines, all those things mattered. Um, knowledge about the Germans and the Soviets. What did you have to expect from the German army? Uh, but also what would you have, what would you expect um, the Soviets to do with, with you if you were a Polish Jew? But also access to financial resources, means of transportation, but also which, which is very important here, gender and age. So taking all those things together, you get closer to answering why people left, um, but it, it's a complex matter, unfortunately. Thank you. I, I wanna now move on to uh, Katharina's contribution. And I think it's um, a great thing to kind of spin off of what Marcus just mentioned, uh, that this is a highly diversified and stratified community. There's no one singular um, Polish Jews in the Soviet Union. Um, I think, uh, Katarina, what you write in your uh, contribution that really stood out is what they had in the common was that they were Polish Jews and that they were there during World War II, um, that they found themselves after in the Soviet Union after. Uh, can you briefly discuss some of the different groups of Polish Jews in the Soviet Union that you address in your contribution uh, and how their affiliations and intersectionalities shaped their experiences in the military? So in, in my chapter, I, I analyze um, the fate and personal experience of ordinary Polish uh, Jewish soldiers uh, showing a wide range of backgrounds, politics, and, and of course, ideological uh, choices. Um, their biographies reflect also the various paths, as Marcus already mentioned, of, of persecution, exile, escape, deportation, or imprisonment but also a return to the homeland and attempt to rebuild one's existence after, after the Shoah and very often escape or immigration uh, from, from Poland. So of course these soldiers were a very diverse group of, of people. So among them were members of the intelligentsia, workers and craftsmen or students of, of pre-war rabbinical schools or rabbis. And among them also Zionists, Bundists, communists, and, and also those who, who were politically uh, indifferent. indifferent. Um, some of them were 
very strongly assimilated into the Polish culture, while others had actually very little knowledge of Polish and spoke uh, mainly uh, Yiddish or were devoutly religious. What is also important in, in this context is uh, the participation of, of Jewish women in the army. And um, I also write about their experiences uh, as soldiers. As you, as you can imagine the, the political affiliation, knowledge of Polish, uh, religiousness, um, though personal qualities played actually a great role uh, in their adaptation uh, to the army and undoubtedly had an impact uh, on their experiences um, as soldiers. Joining the so-called Berlin Army, which, uh, which uh, was fighting you know, in the rank of the Red Army, um, was easiest for those Jews who already held communists, uh, communist beliefs. They were usually uh, promoted to officers and often met old colleagues uh, among the officer corps who, like them, had been politically um, active uh, during uh, the interwar period. While members um, of the Jewish intelligentsia were mainly recruited as political officers, access to an officer candidate school was, was also open to people from the working class and to those from, uh, from very poor uh, backgrounds, uh, for instance. Um, in general, Jewish privates found it hardest uh, to adapt um, into the army. Many of them came from small towns and, and quite often from traditional Jewish communities. Also, poor knowledge of the Polish language or speaking Polish with, with an Yiddish accent were additional difficulties. So these soldiers most often experienced anti-Semitism um, in the army. Um, but what is important to say is uh, that active Jewish participation in organizing and merging the army gradually led uh, to them being identified with the formation despite their background or, or political orientation. If I might just follow up to that, um, because it is something that really stood out in your contribution uh, to me as a reader is, can you share with listeners a little bit today about how gender informed this experience specifically? So this is this is a wonderful question, and and we can find a lot of informations or, or uh, great insights into into the gender issue in in many chapters um, in our our volume. So I can only say maybe a few words about uh, the gender issue and the experience of Jewish women, you know, within the army, for instance. So that's really interesting because. This was actually for most yeah, Polish Jewish women, the first time in their lives or in the, in the modern Jewish Polish history when they had you know, equal rights to, to be active you know, in, uh, in the army, for instance. And there were of course many problems and we, we can see here many uh, um, you know, um, similarities to the problem of, of you know, women soldiers also in the Red Army. Um, 
there many of them face of course sexual abuse and and violence etc but uh, but there were also very positive experiences so many many women met in the army their future husbands for instance and they came together after the war or liberated poland and and settled together in poland so i think um and I think that I tried for the first time to, you know, to to explore their they fate. So within the army, but there are many, many more uh, very interesting stories and 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 subjects. And I think also in, in Marcus' case about the flights and and uh, the flight strategies. This gender gender issue plays also a, a great a great role, and it's a great deal. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe I can just add um, that in when, when we're looking at this decision-making process, um, we can see that in the first weeks of the war, um, it was very often the case that among the refugees, um, it was young men and um, middle-aged men who decided to leave. <clears throat> in the first place, they thought, uh, they would join the Polish army, the full Polish forces in the moment they were still fighting the Germans. So they wanted to um, reconnect with, with the Polish forces. But the interesting thing about it is that they were always assuming based on what they knew back then that the Germans would do no harm to women uh, and children, for example. So what we know now um, our knowledge on about the Holocaust, this, this sounds you know, this sounds strange. It sounds very difficult to grasp, um, but that's why many men among the refugees decided to leave their uh, women and children behind. But at the same time, that's not the majority. You know, not, not that's not the you know that's not the typical refugee. Jewish refugee 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 at the time was uh, a young man. Um, many families left. Whole families left. Uh, three generations of families uh, left. So that's not very easy to generalize, but what we can see here is definitely a gender um, issue involved, meaning that you know people were assuming that the Germans would treat the men different from uh, the women, for example. And maybe one more thing, in already in the Soviet Union, which I guess is interesting, um, you know, it's it's we have to we have to uh, keep in mind that those Polish Jews, regardless of whether they were men or women. They, they entered the Soviet society during wartime, right? So this was, um, especially after 1941, this was a, a society at war, <clears throat> a country at war, um, with less men than women, for example, right? So like, and, and of course, in, uh, under Soviet communism, it was fairly common for women to work uh, as opposed to, to pre-war Poland, for example. So in, in many ways, I guess what we can see here is, is some kind of emancipation of women in the Soviet Union because they had to take care of their own lives way more than they were used to, or many of them were used to in pre-war Poland. And I guess that's that's an important um, important element here to the to the gender history of the Jews in, in the Soviet Union. I think in addition to uh, what we've already talked about, including kind of the variations within this particular community, be it based on politics or gender, 
this compilation has a lot more to offer. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit today about some of the other contributions to this text. Yeah, uh, from an editor's point of view, it's obviously impossible to highlight uh, single individual chapters because they're all interesting um, in, in, in many ways to readers with backgrounds in Jewish, Polish, or Soviet history, uh, sociology, literary, cultural studies, anthropology. Um, so I, I would argue that each of those chapters has to offer something to uh, readers with this specific background. Um, but maybe it's interesting for readers to know that the book has two parts, two bigger parts. Uh, the first one includes rather historical chapters or chapters on history. Um, for example, the experience of Jewish children in the Soviet Union, uh, the, the, the matter of anti-Semitism, which uh, between Poles and, or Catholic Poles and Jewish Poles, but also the process of repatriation, uh, that is the return movement, the organized state organized return movement back to Poland from the Soviet Union uh, between 1944 and 1946. One, one other chapter um, deals with the matter of citizenship um, because you know, being a Polish citizen or a Soviet citizen or a Ukrainian citizen definitely mattered during uh, this, this time that we're dealing with here. Um, but also the relations between Polish Jews and Soviet Jews or the Soviet local population and wherever Polish Jews ended up living is, is one of the chapters that um, in, the, in the history section, if you want to call it this. And the second part deals with um, broader questions of memory, memory studies, the memory of the Polish Jewish experience in the Soviet Union. That's a pretty rough um, structure of the book, but we, we thought it was interesting to look how, you know, also in terms of sources, what people made um, with the story, how did they interpret the story? And also over time, you know, how did the interpretation, how did the narrative change over time? And that's what some of the chapters do here. Um, they, were, they examine memoir literature, memoirs as sources for, for our understanding of the Polish Jewish history. Others deal with how to interpret the Soviet experience among um, survivors, but also among the Polish society, the Polish Catholic society. And the last two chapters show how um, show the material heritage uh, of, of Polish Jews who donated personal items to Warsaw's Pauline Museum. And finally, we have an epilogue highlighting future path in researching the stories. So like, that's what the, the epilogue does is basically to say, where do we go from here? Um, and what I would like to add is that Katarina and I also compiled about bibliography for, um, for future you know, researchers uh, or people who are just not familiar with the, the broad literature, which we already have, despite the rather new character of the subject. Um, so we try to include as many as much scholarly literature as possible for readers who want to know more about the story in Polish, Russian, English, German, and Hebrew. So we hope that may help some of the readers. 
I know I certainly appreciated it. And I thought it was, I was folding through the back looking for biographic information and I saw the bio, uh, bibliography and I was like, this is different. Um, so I certainly did appreciate that as well. Um, and I think that you're actually like running right into my next question uh, because the individual contributions to this text really are remarkable. I've already footnoted a ton of it for my own research. And I think for those listening today that it will be profoundly helpful. Um, especially when you take these things together and think about them as a collective narrative. They give readers several different avenues for thinking about Polish Jews in the Soviet Union, both during and after World War II. And I think one of the many perks of editing a collection, which both of you have had the perk of now, is being able to take that kind of bird's eye view um, and see what's out there and what some potential avenues for further inquiry might be. I know that Mark Idala did the uh, epilogue and he talks about some of that in the epilogue, but you both also address that in your introduction to the text as well. Um, so perhaps you could share with listeners today what you think are some potential avenues for further inquiry into the lives and deaths of Polish Jews in the Soviet Union. So we have already uh, a few wonderful monographs on this subject, among them uh, the great book written by Marcus, um, and also recently uh, also a um, monograph um, uh, written by Eliana Adler in English. And, and of course, there are several uh, also co-edited volumes which appeared, you know, years ago. So one might think, okay, so hmm, we have quite a good, you know, uh, base of literature and research. But, well, I think this, this subject, and we, we all agree on that, still leaves many, many issues to be, to be explored uh, by researchers. So um, some of, of these topics um, remain uh, politically controversial, especially in Poland, for instance. Uh, among this is uh, the attitude of, um, of the Polish government in exile towards Jews in the, in the USSR. Um, I think it would be also worth uh, looking at the aid operations and, and international reaction of Jewish organizations, among other, in the issue of uh, the, the Jewish community at, um, under the, the British mandate uh, in Palestine at that time towards Jewish refugees uh, in, the, in the Soviet Union. Um, so another potential subject for future research may concern the attitude of the Union of Polish Patriots. Uh, it was uh, the Polish Communist Organization, which was created in 1943 um, by Stalin to, to support uh, Polish citizens um, in, in the USSR. But also one very important question um, of, of Jewish support for the, for the Soviet regime. And now I will turn to Marcus, maybe, maybe he, he wants to add uh, something too. There's not much that I can add, except for that, you know, our, our idea was always um, not just to tell a sub story if we call it like this, of the Holocaust, um, but to actually, you know, the, the general aim would be to integrate this story, and but also these kinds of stories, because it's, uh, you know, in, 
in the end, it's an it's a refuge story or a story of exile, of forced exile, of um, forced deportation, forced mobility, whatever you want to call it. You know, those people ended up in the Soviet Union because of the German attack on Poland. They were destined. You know, there were there were. Um, their aim was that the German aim was to kill those people, right? And so they they were part of the of the Holocaust, even if they had never been in in a concentration camp or a Jewish ghetto um, or in hiding or something. M many of the people we we uh, we studied have never seen a, a German SS officer or uh, you know a, a soldier even because they fled before the Germans arrived. But still. That's what we would argue. This is part of a larger Holocaust history, and what you know, what what I, what we try to argue here, but I'm I'm afraid we won't be able to do this by ourselves, is actually to have some kind of a global history of the Holocaust, not claiming that the Holocaust happened everywhere in the world, obviously, but that um, the Holocaust in Nazi-occupied Germany had repercussions all over the world that you could, you know, you could see, you could meet those refugees from Germany, Poland, Czechoslovakia, France, all over the world, basically. And that's also what Tina Grossman was referring to with her remapping of the Holocaust. Um, Polish Jews traveled thousands of miles and ended up in Central Asia, far, far away from Poland, um, far, far away from um from from their homes, and if we if we follow them in order to understand their history, then we would have to we will have to shift our uh, you know our perspectives. That's what we have to do. You know, we cannot just German occupied Poland is not the center of the action um, anymore. If you look at uh, the Polish Jewish survival in the Soviet Union, so it's a it's a very it's a very complex matter because obviously um, you know there's still much to be written about. The Holocaust, the destruction of the Jews, the persecution, um, and uh, the killing, but at the same time, um, including those refugee histories, how they interacted with the local population, um, and maybe also like and maybe a second thing, um, how did they, what, how was actually their life after liberation? You know, because there was no liberation from a Nazi dominion or whatever from uh you know there was no liberation for for those jews that we write about um but of, of course the end of the war mattered for them but many of the people we write about only returned to poland in 1946 for example right that's you know that's already you know a year after the war had ended some even only returned in the 50s so you know somehow this this is also part of the story uh or we, one could argue that it's part of the story um, beginning in 1939, beginning with the German invasion of Poland and ending in, for example, 1948 with the arrival to Israel, for example, a new home or to Australia in 1947 or to the United States in 1950. You know, that's, one could argue that's all one big narrative. It belongs together, at least for the people um, we write about. It's a decade of forced mobility, if you want to call it like this. Um, it's extremely exhausting to, to research that, but I guess we hope also with this collection that um, 
others might be in, inspired to to follow the path and or maybe follow other paths <laughs> but um you know continue writing the the history of polish jews in the soviet union and beyond I could not have left it on a better note than that, um, because yes, I certainly think that this particular text will spark more historiographical contribution, and hopefully we'll be having this discussion with another group in a year. Um, but that being said, I want to now shift a little bit away from this text with our traditional closing question on New Books Network, uh, because we have taken up a lot of your time today. And that is, what are you both working on now, either together or individually? Let's start with Katarina. So I'm currently uh, searching and exploring private collections and archives of Polish women uh, active in the solidarity movement in communist uh, Poland, and as well as of individuals um, who took part in political and economic transformation um, in Poland after the fall of, of communism and this, you know, this kind of research is of course connected with, with my new position. So yeah, I'm trying now to, to work extensively on, on these subjects. And how about you, Marcus? So my, my current project is actually pretty far away from uh, the, the story of Polish Jews in the Soviet Union. I'm, I'm now working, I've been working already a few years uh, on a book about Warsaw in early 19th century. Um, and I'm trying to tell the story of how social relations within Warsaw's multi-ethnic and extremely diverse population changed under the influence of three political regimes, uh, the Prussian regime, um, the Napoleonic outpost, um, and the Russian czar. So it's, um, again, a combination of... Um, various historiographies, various languages, <clears throat> various um, religious affiliations. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in, in that uh, right now. And I've just finished an, an article, you know, highlighting some of the things about this new project for uh, Pauline. So hopefully that will be out next year. I'm certainly looking forward to reading both of these things uh, when they come out. Uh, Thank you both for joining us here today on New Books in Jewish Studies. For the listeners out there, if today's discussion piqued your interest, which I hope it did, you can pick up a copy of Katarina Frita and Marcus Nesorot's Polish Jews in the Soviet Union, 1939-1959, History and Memory of Deportation, Exile and Survival, directly from Academic Studies Press, or order it from your local bookstore.